if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us on AM 1420. The answer. It is a Tuesday, the 19th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. And uh, we've got a great show for you. Coming up in less than a half an hour, we are going to talk with a gentleman I've been looking forward to speaking with for quite some time now, ever since Ohio's response to the Chinese coronavirus pandemic uh, was laid out. And I'm speaking of the Speaker himself, the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the state of Ohio, Larry Householder. He will be with us at about 9.35 to talk about where we are and where we are going from here. Very much looking forward to that conversation. Then coming up at 10.10, we get Peter Kersenow. Peter Kersenow visits us each and every Tuesday. He's got some thoughts and analysis on a few different things at the national level, including the coup that never ends. Literally, it never ends. Jerry Nadler and House Democrats are moving for another impeachment investigation. Here we are in May of an election year. They are still trying to upend the Trump presidential victory from four years ago. Simply in unimaginable indefensible and yet that's where we are the coup that never ends and we will talk to Kirsten now about that coming up at um 10 10 this morning by the way uh, look the president's in the news for a lot of reasons uh the president's talking about how he's taking hydrochloroquine apparently that dates back to a couple of weeks when a couple of his staff members were found to have uh, tested positive for covid19 or at least covid19 symptoms and uh, he decided to go to his doctor and say hey can i take this uh kind of prophylactically to prevent me from getting it and the doctor said yeah you can do that and so he is but rather than keep that private to himself, which he probably should, he went public with it. And now, of course, all you know what is broken loose. So, yeah, we could get into that. We can get into Mike DeWine uh, essentially calling for a version of martial law by sending out his police force, his uh, military force. Now, I don't mean that quite literally. Well, in the police case, it is literal. Uh, but I mean, he's sending out spies and he's sending out, uh, uh, state health department officials to spy on bars and restaurants to find out if people are getting a little too close together, if they're actually enjoying one another's company from, uh, too, uh, from, uh, too few feet away for their liking. We can get into all of that, but I'm going to do something different to start the show today. 
And I'm going to ask you a very simple question. This is a largely Christian religious, well, Christian and Jewish religious uh, um, audience, I think. I mean, right, we, we do. We have a large Judeo-Christian audience, I think would be the best way to say that. There aren't too many atheists who uh, find their way over to this program and find their way over to this station. So it's because of your status as a an audience or you as an individual, as a person of faith, that I feel like this is a very, a very inter- interesting and worthwhile discussion to have. Do you think God is behind this? Is God punishing the people of this country and of this world for their behavior? Now, I'm not making this up out of whole cloth. The reason I, I, I even brought this up is I read an article on Sunday, and I was going to talk about it yesterday, but we had too many things to get to. But I read an article on Sunday from the Associated Press talking about a poll, a survey that was done of people of believers, of all faiths, as to what God's role is in this worldwide pandemic that has just, you know, uh, turned our entire existence on its ear. And I found some of the responses to be really quite fascinating. And I wanted to ask you personally if you share uh, some of these opinions. Again, quoting from the Associated Press, the coronavirus has prompted almost two-thirds of American believers of all faiths, in other words, believers in God. So atheists are excluded from this survey, according to, to what, we're, what I'm reading. Um, believers of all faiths to feel that God is telling humanity to change how it lives. This virus, worldwide pandemic, is telling humanity, you're doing it wrong. This is God's way of saying, clean up your act. While the virus rattles the globe, causing economic hardship for millions, and I would probably say billions, quite frankly, around 7 billion people on the planet, right? Uh, And killing more than 80,000 Americans, the findings of the poll by the University of Chicago Divinity School and the Associated Press NORC Center, NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, indicate that people may also be searching for deeper meaning in the devastating outbreak. The poll found that 31% of Americans who believe in God feel strongly that the virus is a sign of God telling humanity to change. With the same number, feeling that uh, feeling that somewhat. So between somewhat and strongly agree that God is telling humanity to change. We're talking 62%. 62% of the survey. That's why they say nearly two-thirds. Evangelical Protestants are more likely than others to believe that strongly at 43%, compared with 28% of Catholics and mainline Protestants. The question was asked of all Americans who said they believe in God, without specifying a specific faith. The survey did not have a sample size large enough to report uh, on on the opinions of religious faiths with small numbers of U.S. adherents, including Muslims and Jews. In addition, black Americans were more likely than those of other racial backgrounds to say they feel the virus is a sign God wants humanity to change, regardless of education, regardless of gender, income. 47% of African-American believers in God say they feel that strongly, compared with 37% of Latino and 27% of white Americans who believe in God. 
The COVID-19 virus has disproportionately walloped black Americans, writes the Associated Press, exposing societal inequality that now this is rather interesting. Now they this is see this is what we have a problem with the press. They go from just reporting the stats to throwing in their opinions and trying to uh, report those as part of the facts. Uh, exposing societal inequalities that has left minorities more vulnerable and heightening concern that the risks they face are getting ignored by a push to reopen the US economy. See this is the AP just going full mainstream media. As if to say, those of us who are trying to push the economy open so that people stop losing their lives and their livelihoods and their jobs and the ability to feed their families, that we somehow don't care about minorities. It is This is just where it gets very aggravating. But I don't want to let that detract from the, uh, from the actual article here and the poll question about whether or not you see it as God, if not punishing, but just encouraging people across the globe to change the way they live. Uh, Back to the article, the virus has prompted negligible change in Americans' overall belief in God, with 2% saying they believe in God today, but did not before. Fewer than 1% say they do not believe in God today, but did before. So that's really largely irrelevant. Most houses of worship stopped in-person services to help protect public health as the virus began spreading, but that didn't stop religious Americans from turning to online and drive-in gatherings to express their faith. Americans with a religious affiliation regularly engaging in private prayer during the pandemic, 57% say they do so at least weekly since March. About the same share say they prayed as regularly as last year. Overall, about 82% of Americans say they believe in God. 26% of Americans say their sense of faith and spirituality has grown stronger as a result of the outbreak. Just 1% say that their faith in God has weakened. Their spirituality or faith in God has weakened since the outbreak. That's good news. Because I think that's, you know, while not being a uh, theologian, not being a pastor, not being in any way a biblical scholar or anything else even remotely close to that, I can just say that we have all observed um, in times of great strife and of great uh, injustice or in great calamity or great disaster, a lot of people question, begin to question their faith in God. You know, where are you, God? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? Why did you let that little innocent baby die of cancer? Why did you let those buildings hit the, or excuse me, those planes hit those buildings? Why did you let the earth shake like this and kill so many? There are a lot of people who question their faith in God in times of crisis and calamity, especially if there is a, you know, great number of loss of life, amount of loss of life. But according to this survey anyway, less than 1% say their faith in God is weakened because of all of this. Uh, Catherine Lawton, professor of religious studies at Yale University, interpreted the high number of Americans perceiving the virus as a message from God about changing is an expression of fear that if we don't change, this misery will continue. When people get asked about God, they often interpret it immediately as power, said Lofton. And they answer the question saying, here's when the power is to change the thing I experience. 55% 55% of Americans believe, American believers say they feel at least somewhat that God will protect them from being infected. Evangelical Protestants are more likely than those of other religious background, backgrounds to say that. 43% of them say so strongly, another 30% say somewhat. Catholics and mainly uh, mainline Protestants are more closely split on feeling that way or not. 
And among black Americans who believe in God, 49% say they feel strongly God will protect them from the virus, compared with 34% of Latino and 20% of white Americans. So uh, let's just kind of cut to this. I'll take a time out here, and I'll come back, and I want to get some phone calls here before the bottom of the hour. Do you, uh, you know, how would you answer that question? Do you believe the worldwide pandemic that we're enduring right now is a message from God that we have to change the way we live, change the way we exist, change the way we, um, uh, the way, way, maybe the way we treat his world, his planet. Some people are linking this to climate. Do you see this as a message from God or not? 216-901-0945. We'll get your answers to that question right after this. Do you still have your faith, faith, faith? According to the survey, most of us still do. But do we also see this as a warning, a message, a sign of some kind from God? I don't care what your faith is. You can be Christian. You can be Jewish. You can be, uh, you know, Baptist Christian, a Catholic Christian. You can be a Muslim. I don't care what your faith is, really. But if you believe in God, if you believe in that one soul, singular, higher power God, do you believe that a worldwide pandemic like this is a message from him saying, change the way you're doing things because I'm not happy? That's essentially what the uh, survey asked. And uh, close to two-thirds of the respondents in this AP poll, actually conducted by the University of Chicago Divinity School along with the AP, uh, almost two-thirds say, yes, this is a message from God. What say you? Uh, let's go to the phones. 216-901-0945. Fred is in Cleveland. Hi, Fred. Thanks for joining us. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Good, sir. Good. Um, I'd like to say, first off, that uh, God, the creator of all that is seen and unseen. So if you believe that, then, you know, we're all in the same boat together. But I also believe that God is punishing the good people of Ohio by giving us Mike DeWine and Atkins and their tyrannical actions against us. I have to say that. Uh, and I'd also like to say that I think the reason DeWine put the kibosh on the legislation of limiting Atkins' powers is because this is all going to be started over again in three months. Can you imagine if America starts to get back to normal and all of a sudden there's a spike or, God forbid, there's another virus, something new? That shocks the world. Everything well, would shut down, and that would be the end. Not only so have I, 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 not only have, can I believe it, uh, Fred, and thank you for the phone call. I predict it's going to happen. That's my prediction: is there's going to be a resurgence of the coronavirus, and I fear that what you know, and, and this is getting into conspiracy territory that I normally don't tread, but. I think that the intentional lockdown and the hiding behind masks, et cetera, et cetera, prevent us from being out in the open air and in the world and interacting with humanity, and our immune systems are going to be compromised because of it, so that when the next round 
does hit, the next surge or mutation of COVID-19 becomes COVID-20, and, uh, you know, we're all hit with it, it's going to have another horrible, horrible, uh, you know, outcome for us because we won't be ready for it. We're not out there right now continuing to strengthen our immune systems by absorbing and experiencing uh, and letting our white blood cells do their jobs, for goodness sakes, the things that they should. So I do fear that in another three months or so that another wave is probably going to come, and they're going to use it for another reason, uh, or excuse me, uh, to continue the reason uh, to have their power, their power grab. Uh, John is in shard next. Hi, John, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh, yeah, God encouraging people to change their ways. I, that that could very well well be, but also there there will always be times of trouble and strife in all our lives, throughout our lives, uh, from time to time. But the point is that God is there for us as a source of health, strength, and wisdom uh, to to bring us bring us out of out of those times. I mean, if you're willing to rec- recognize it. So, well, uh, that's a that's a very interesting point, uh, John, and thank you for the phone call. Here's um, here's the other part of the article, and I read it before, but the virus has uh, prompted well, it says negligible negligible change in American overall beliefs. About two percent, only about two percent, according to the survey, say they believe in God today, but did not before. Uh, but there was another another number here that I gave you a few minutes ago, and, I, and I'm going to struggle to find it right now. Um, so I guess I won't. I'll go back to the calls. But but I do believe that it can have that impact that you just said, that while it may be a sign from God to change your ways, if that's what you believe, or change our ways as a people, uh, it may also be something that strengthens God, saying, you know what, there is nothing that you can't get through if you believe in God. And if you want to survive this panic, if you want to deal with this pandemic, um, strengthen your faith in God and know that he has your back, that kind of thing. Todd and Lakewood. Again, I'm not a theologian, and I'm not a, I'm, I'm not qualified to speak in those terms. But this is just observational from a, you know, from a flawed, failing, uh, faithful Catholic. <laughs> uh, Todd and uh, Lakewood, go ahead, Todd. Hey, Bob, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, thank you. Um, well, God endowed in us a free will, which demonstrates that He's not a marionette. He's not a puppeteer that he, that controls everything. To the minute detail it's more like he pulled the string to spin the top and then he wants us to voluntarily come to love him now the fact that tro- times of trouble exist one of the reasons is as the last guy said is a call for us to reach out to him just like as parents we want our children to come to us in times of trouble because we love them and that's how god looks at it but to say that he put this pandemic to punish us is i think that's faulty theology yeah you know i and well said todd i appreciate that and you know we're all kind of trying to answer uh uh, you know and figure out for ourselves uh thanks for the call todd uh we're trying to figure out for ourselves what it means um and and i think there is going to be some faulty theology here and i think there's going to be some people who look at things in ways they never did before and it's going to make them question the way they had viewed their faith prior to this i don't think there's any right or wrong answer to be honest with you uh let me get one more before the bottom because we have larry householder coming up after the bottom of the hour news john in uh berea hi john go ahead morning bob uh i i am uh practicing Catholic, been that way for 60 years. I'm a believer. There's a book out there uh, written or published in the year 2000 
uh, called The Final Warning, and it was uh, uh, written by Kathleen A. Keating. I don't know if it's uh, available anyplace at this point in time, but it it describes this time uh, very, uh, very well. It, 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 foretold a, it foretold of a pandemic like this? Well, it foretold of the uh, the, uh, the moral uh, corruption mm-hmm. that uh, we are living in in, mm-hmm. in this time. You know, it uh, it also involves the Blessed Virgin Mary, okay. and um, her she's been pleading uh, over the years, over the last twenty years, for us to. Uh, you know, uh, change our ways with respect to abortion and and um, just yeah. No, believing, listen, uh, John. I, I I think I get where you're coming, and thank you for the phone call. I need to uh, clear the decks here. I've got Larry Householder coming on in a few minutes, uh, but I think that's very interesting, and it's very similar to what this survey found that people believe that yes, we are living a very morally corrupt and somehow somehow unjust life, uh, and the way we are conducting ourselves on this planet, and maybe this is a message from God saying you better change this. Um, very interesting. Thanks for the call. We'll get out now, get news, and Larry Householder, the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, joins us next. All right, 937. Now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll come back to the theological discussion in uh, just a bit. We also have Peter Kersenow, the uh, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He'll be with us at uh, 1010. But it's my uh, pleasure to introduce now the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives, Mr. Larry Householder, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Mr. Speaker, good morning. Good to talk to you. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how many Ohioans are today, Mr. Speaker, because uh, quite frankly, I think we're all in a state of flux. I think we could be a lot better, uh, but uh, we could probably also be a lot worse, given the uh, state of things uh, nationally. So I, uh, I, I think that's perhaps what we should dive into first as part of our conversation. How are we, in your eyes, as it pertains to recovering from both the Chinese coronavirus and the cure for the Chinese coronavirus, which was a statewide lockdown that essentially destroyed the economy of the state of Ohio, uh, like many other economies uh, in other states as a response to this. Are we opening fast enough, in your opinion, Mr. Speaker? Well, I've been, I've been concerned about all of this, not only concerned, obviously, about the, the initial uh, COVID and, and what that might, might do to Ohioans in regards to their health. But one of the other things that the House Republicans have been concerned about is, as you put it, the cure. Um, back when uh, the governor was deciding to, to close down uh, businesses and send Ohioans back home, um, we had talked, and, and our suggestion was to to just simply set a maximum occupancy statewide uh, of every building in the state of Ohio, and let's say 25 percent, uh, and the whole theory behind that was that if you're really trying to accomplish social distancing, wouldn't it be better, you know, to spread it out over entire communities and not have 
areas, let's say a Walmart or a Giant Eagle or a Kroger store or something that was just jam-packed full of people, while, you know, Bob and Betty that own the local sweeper sales business down the street are completely closed. Mm -hmm. To us, it it, it made a little bit more sense. Um, In fact, you know, bringing it back and opening back up then later on, it would have been simple because, frankly, you could have went from 25 to 35 to 50 percent, you know, as things progressed. The other advantage of doing that would have been that uh, you would have had an automatic enforcement out there through your local fire chiefs, you know, by establishing that new fire code on each building. So, you know, from the very start, we had concerns and, and um, you know, there's been a hysteria in regards to this. If you look at your heavily densely populated areas of the state, um, Certainly, they have more cases than areas out in, you know, the rural areas of Ohio. Many places in rural Ohio, Bob, um, there just hasn't been any cases and very few, if any, deaths. And most of the deaths have come from folks that were in nursing homes that were very aged and very ill anyway. And that's not to say that we're not concerned, but and we are. But frankly, um, you know, this coronavirus Uh, has had such a detrimental impact on the state. We were going through the greatest economic times of my life. And, uh, and then we just pulled the plug and sent everybody home. And, and it's, it's a great concern. And we continue to try to monitor it and, and trying to seek some type of legislative oversight from the governor's office, um, I think is important. And that's what we've tried to do. Yeah, you uh, you have been a leader uh, among Ohio, not because you're the speaker, but because of your actions uh, of the Ohio House Republicans, and you did propose that. And why was it just dismissed out of hand? What was the governor's response to your proposal that, sir, we shouldn't be closing all of these businesses, let's just limit the occupancy until we see where this goes? What was his response? Well, he had already made his decision at that point. That's what he had indicated to me, which I respect that. He is the governor. Um, he had already made his decision based on information that he had. Uh, but again, I'm, I, I think it's important. The one thing that all this lacks, when you look at, and I've been asked this by a lot of Ohioans, under what authority is the director of health uh, acting? Well, uh, this law goes back to at least 1908, and uh, mainly it dealt with tuberculosis and um at that time, the General Assembly of the State of Ohio gave over very, very broad powers to the Director of Health to try to fight and control tuberculosis in communities throughout the state of Ohio. Ohio was very different in 1908, Bob, than it is today. And quite frankly, um, we didn't have an opportunity to really revisit this uh, since 1908 because we've not had a, a pandemic again, really, like like we had in 1908. And so it, that law just sat there on the books. This all came to fruition um, when uh, Dr. Acton and the governor decided that they were going to close the, the election down. And at that point, um, you know, right before the day before night, actually the night before election day, uh, they came out and said, we're, we're not going to have the election tomorrow. Um, we obviously... Um, showed concern about that and they they went off to a common police judge here in Columbus and tried to get a, an injunction to stop the election um we hired an attorney and and sent them down there and we fought that and actually won that case and did not have the injunction filed 
At that point, they went to the Supreme Court, I think, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and attempted to try to do it through the Ohio Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court found that they didn't have a basis for action. And uh, then early that morning, uh, they came out and decided they found this you know, 1908 law that allowed the director to close the polls. So they didn't cancel the election. They closed the polls. That's what kicked off this, this whole uh, issue that we've been yeah. fighting, kind of fighting over for the last several months. And that is that, uh, you know, we, we believe there needs to be legislative oversight. Uh, doesn't mean that we don't respect the governor. It doesn't mean that we don't believe the governor's had, uh, hasn't had the authority. Um, we just believe that when you're talking about actions that um, unemploy, you know, over a million Ohioans that close down private businesses, restaurants, bars, um, you know, manufacturing, all types of all types of businesses in this state. Um, when you make decisions that affect 11.5 million Ohioans that could potentially increase suicides and alcoholism and drug abuse and all of these things. Um, that's something that needs to be reviewed. There needs to be oversight, and the legislature needs to be involved in some way. Um, so that's I why completely we agree. Let, let, let's talk about some of that oversight and some of those. Uh, pr- Actually, before we get to SB one and what happened there, and uh, SB three eleven and others things that are that are still kind of in the wings. You you said that he had already made up his mind, Speaker Householder, uh, and he was acting on the information that he had. Um, the information that he had was all wrong, uh, all of it. Um, uh, what is your opinion of the effectiveness of Amy Acton and her ever-present lab coat um, when her very first statement about the pandemic on March 12th, which was shortly after her confirmation by the Republican-led Ohio Senate, which I still have questions about, how that was so easily passed, 31 to nothing she was confirmed, back on March 4th. But her first statement was to declare that 100,000 Ohioans were currently infected on that day, and that the models, her predictive models of, of doom and gloom and deaths, have been so far off that it should be embarrassing to her and to the governor. But, but yet her orders were written as if those models had been correct. How do, how do you evaluate her effectiveness as a public health official? Well, when, when you use bad models and you have bad information, you can't make good policy decisions. Agreed. And I think we're we're certainly learning that through this. Um, I know that we get chastised a lot. You know, people yell at us all the time. Well, just you know, go by the science. Go by the science. The problem is, is that science, in many ways, is a theory, and everyone's got a different theory. You know, for every five scientists that come in and say these models were exactly right, I can get five scientists that say that they're exactly wrong. And so, you know, I I trust. I also think we can just count patients, right? We can count patients and count hospital beds and count deaths, and we'll know that the models were wrong. I don't know how anybody could argue that they were right when you look at the actual outcome. That's that's exactly right. All you have to do is look at the numbers. The numbers, yeah. the the number of deaths won't lie. And, and you know, we can have an argument about what a one of the things that I got I got sideways with the governor on early on was when when they um, went from confirmed cases that were very very low uh they changed their they changed the way that they were going to count cases and they said well no now we're going to go with you know if you've got symptoms then you've yeah, got suspected it. cases okay right. suspected well then 
it wasn't but a couple days till they turned around and said we're going to we're going to uh, broaden the symptoms. It can be a headache, a runny nose, a, a sniffle, a cough, uh, basically a headache. Anything that you know, anything that anyone has during a, a normal, uh, you know, normal being being alive and being human. Everyone has a headache here and there. They have a little dry cough or they have a sniffle. Uh, you know, we have colds and things, and uh, you know, everyone has allergies and things like that. And the flu. So, I mean, you know, the flu was this. This was still in the flu season when this whole thing began. And every time somebody had a symptom that might have indicated flu in a normal year, they said, "Not this year. It's not flu anymore. That's COVID. There's no question. That's COVID. That's how they padded right. those numbers." Well, and then you have the whole mask issue. Uh, you know, the fact is, they early on they came out and said, "Don't wear masks. Whatever you do, don't wear a mask." And, you know, and then later on, it's, oh, no, you need to wear a mask. And I'll tell you, Bob, I, rem- I was around here at State House, uh, I was speaker, actually, during September the 11th. And a lot of this reminds me of what happened at the end of September 11th, and that was we couldn't get people to fly in airplanes. And if you remember, they came out with the TSA, gov- the federal government came out with the, the TSA. Sure. They made you take your shoes off, take your belt off, all those things. I think it was to get people to have a comfort level to get on airplanes again. I have to wonder if we're not doing the same thing here with Corona, and that is wear a mask, stay six feet away, you know, don't shake Except hands, that I think it's having the opposite effect. I, I'm sorry, sir. I think it's having the opposite effect, Speaker Householder. I mean, uh, that's not making people more comfortable. That's making people terrified. People are afraid to go to places when they look around and they see people f- afraid to breathe the clean air, afraid to ble- breathe without somehow thinking you're going to ingest something toxic and you're going to die. I think it's a panic inducer more than it is something that brings people comfort, but that's just my opinion. I want to get to SB1. You helped pass that out of the House. And it would have limited Amy Act and the health director's orders during a health emergency. It would have made them advisory only, not mandatory. And it would have limited that advisory to 14 days without JCAR approval to extend it. In other words, allowing you and other members of the General Assembly to do your jobs, which is represent the constituents and actually have a say in the policies that are being um, implemented here. And the, the Senate never got a chance to see it. Because Senate President Obhoff moved during a non-voting session to not take it up. It's dead. Uh, why do you think he did that? Well, I don't have any idea why he did it. Um, but but I can tell you that that oversight is very important, Bob, because, you know, again, we, we hear criticisms from the left that, well, you're not a medical doctor. What gives you the right to be able to question uh, a medical doctor? Well, first of all, Ohio's had very, very few doctors who have been our health director. Uh, the only one I can even think of is, I think, during the Kasich administration, they had a medical doctor for a very short period of time. Most medical doctors that are worth their salt, uh, have you know, they're not interested in government work. They're out there making money at hospitals and in private practice. Um, so it's very unusual to have a medical doctor as the director of health. Secondly, uh, we, you know, in the Ohio General Assembly, we make every single law that deals with state health care, nursing homes, drugs, hospitals, clinics, you know, all of these. In fact, you know, all the laws of which um, even were used under this authority were done by the General Assembly at some mm-hmm. point. So we're smart enough and we're good enough as a group to come together and make these laws that we all that affects all of our lives in regards to our health care but we're not smart enough to oversee these laws, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And let's face it, if they have a good reason 
for shutting down the state of Ohio if there were a good reason to close down people's businesses? Do you not think that your constituency wouldn't demand that you do that and that the General Assembly would act accordingly? We represent every single human being in this state. And you are one-third of the three branches of government, and you are separate but co-equal. The the governor is not supposed supposed to be over the legislature and vice versa. We're out of time, uh, Speaker Householder, but let me ask you one last question as we get into this phased reopening that is not happening nearly fast enough. Do you believe, in your opinion, that this August and September that Ohio's schools should be fully open? Oh, I absolutely believe the schools ought to be open. I, 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 I can't see a scenario where uh, it would be effective. We haven't had any uh, school-aged child die in the state of Ohio. Uh, we have no proof that they're even affected by this. Exactly. Uh, now, if we run into a hot spot or something somewhere, or there becomes a problem, yes, we don't, we'll have to deal with that. But it's important that Americans live like Americans. Yeah, and we're a free maybe people. on a district by district basis, right? You mean you know, if there's a hot spot, we deal with it. Not see because that's the thing. People say, well, what about somebody who lives with a grandparent or somebody with a uh, with a compromised health system, and the child can be a non a non uh, uh, symptomatic carrier and bring that back? Well, in, if individuals live in houses like that, then we can set up virtual learning systems for those individual children, right. not for the yeah. whole of Ohio. Why is that so hard for Governor Dewine to grasp? Well, it's the same as what we've done here, Bob. When you look at it. We took 99 people and shoved them into a ha- their houses and stopped their businesses and stopped their commerce because we were concerned about 1% of the population. Now, you look back during World War One or World War Two, we had a smaller percentage of the population who ran to France and ran to Germany to fight for the majority. It's just the opposite. And, you know, it's once again, we can have individual plans for individual people that, that have special circumstances. If you have a child mm-hmm. that lives with his grandmother or whatever, make special, you know, let the local schools do their job and say, hey, you know, Johnny, you don't have to come in because of Grandma Kate. Uh, we'll set up a special learning program for you until this passes. It's not, it's not brain science surgery no. here. No, we it, it's really that. not. It's common sensible solutions to problems. The, you know, there's no such thing as a one size fits all solution, and that's what Governor Dewine and uh, and Lab Labcoat uh, Acton have been uh, have been trying to do, and that's a major problem. But I appreciate what you and the House Republicans are doing. Uh, I hope you can maybe confer with your colleagues on the Senate side and get something done. There is another bill that was introduced right after Abhoff killed SB one. It's called SB three eleven, which did almost the same thing, except it was better because it took effect immediately upon passage, rather than rather than 90 days later, so hopefully you can confer with your colleagues together uh, in the other chamber, and maybe we can get something done here for the people of Ohio. Speaker Larry Householder, thank you, sir, for your good work. Okay, Bob, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. 954, out and in after this. Yeah, the the work on the Ohio House side, I think, has been uh, responsible. I think it has been effective. Well, technically ineffective, but not because of the work on the House side. I, House side. I think what they have done uh, has been enough to really kind of lift the um, uh, the uh, reins on us, if you will, uh, to allow us to get back to work a lot sooner. They passed SB1. And as I said uh, on Friday, I think it was Friday, Senate President Larry Obhoff uh, is to blame here. He wouldn't even allow um, senators, Ohio senators, to vote on it. to limit. And, and why is this so important? 
It's important because this isn't going away. Amy Acton's powers continue. She is a power-hungry, egotistical, uh, you know... Matt, I'm looking for the right word here, and I don't want to say the word that I'm thinking of here, but she essentially is is just, you know, all consumed by her power. Maybe that's the way I want to phrase that, all consumed by it. Did you see that she has been named by Glamour Magazine as the most Midwestern hero in America? She's getting features and profiles being done on her by national magazines. You think she's going to want to give up any of her power? You think she's going to want to stop restricting the movements and the ability of the uh, people of Ohio to, uh, to you know, take advantage of their constitutional rights? Of course she's not. And the Ohio House passed a bill to suspend some of those powers so that she doesn't have the ch- chance to continue to pursue her all-consuming power dreams. And... Senator Obhoff killed the opportunity. Didn't even let the Senate get a look at it. And it's it's the swampiest of Columbus swamps in the Ohio State Senate, as far as I'm concerned. Overrun by Republicans, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Not when these Republicans voted to confirm Amy Acton as health director 31 to 0, and then refused to take up something limiting the pro-abortionist Obama-supporting Acton's uh, uh, overreaching powers in the state of Ohio. So I give Householder and Senate Republicans credit, or excuse me, House Republicans credit, uh, but Senate Republicans, particularly with their leadership, Larry Obhoff, have been a straight-up disaster for this state during this terrible pandemic and economic crisis. Time out now for the top of the hour news. Then we got Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420, The Answer. You're gonna go, I know.